We're going to continue with what we were looking at last week. Somebody tell me what we were looking at last week. Acts. In general, in particular, the what? Somebody said it. The church. The beginning of the church. And, uh, and sort of piggyback off what Dr. Combs said this morning in his message, the, the church at Corinth there. Of course, that was one that the Apostle Paul was instrumental in founding um, during one of his missionary journeys. But as we, uh, as we look at the book of Acts, and in particular the early church, if you remember right, I told you there was a verse that was the key verse which really gave us our, uh, our outline. Acts 1, chapter, first chapter, verse 7, verse 8, the key verse. And I told you it actually supplied our outline for the book of Acts. Remember what, what three points I gave you for our outline for the book of Acts? The first was Jerusalem. The second was, thank you, Judea and Samaria. And the third was uttermost part of the earth, the uttermost part of the earth. So as we look at the book of Acts, we see that in, in chapters 1 through 8, we're dealing with uh, Jerusalem primarily, the, the, the disciples and the apostles there in Jerusalem. And uh, then when we get to chapter 8, we, we go into Judea and Samaria. And then when we get up to chapter 13, we go into the uttermost part of the earth, and that's where then the church starts to broaden its horizons. Actually, it's already been broadened before that, but then it becomes sort of organized. Um, I found a picture this week that I want to share with you, and it has to do with the early church. Obviously, it's not a picture from 2,000 years ago, because I don't think there's any in existence that I could possibly show you. But I thought this would tie in very nicely with what we're looking at here, the early church. You know where I got that. That's about an eighth generation photo. I, I lifted it off of Facebook. And if I'm not wrong, that is basically the sum total of Community Baptist Church, probably some bear aware, back around the beginning of 2002, which was about 10 years ago. And you recognize most of the people in there. They, they look 10 years younger, some of them. <laughs> I'm not going to say which ones. Uh, but uh, that basically is the... That's Community Baptist Church in the year 2002. They started in 2001, late in 2001. And the majority of those people are still here. Some have gone on to someplace else. Uh, but... Uh, when you, when you stop and think about the fact that here 10 years ago, that was the church, this church. And now we have more than that in this room. If I'm not right, there are 22 people in that, in that picture. I think there's 16 adults and six children. 16 adults and six children. Now we have expanded to look how many. And as the Lord tarries, we can look forward to expanding to how many more. We just don't know. But that's the way the church was in the first century as well. Remember that the Holy Spirit came down onto the disciples and, and those who were present in the upper room in a visible manifestation of, of uh, they heard a rushing wind. They saw these cloven tongues of fire that appeared above the heads of 
the individuals. That was when the Holy Spirit came down and filled them on the day of Pentecost. And we trace our church, the beginning of the church, back to the day of Pentecost. Um, let me get that out of there so I don't distract anybody. Um, I just thought that was sort of neat. It ties in the early church, our early church. Just, just thought it was sort of neat. But at any rate, we, uh, we looked last week through the first uh, few chapters of the book of Acts. And if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn there because we are going to be reading a couple of passages again today in the book of Acts. Specifically, where I want to start today is Acts chapter 7. Um, we're looking still in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, and we come to chapter 7, and we find that the church has expanded to the point where there's a little bit of bickering going on in the church. <laughs> we don't have that in our church, do we? <laughs> I'm only going to laugh. I'm not going to say yes or no. I'm only going to laugh. You know, you get more than two or three people, there's always a little bit of bickering. Nothing major, just little things. We overcome those and, and keep on going, and uh, that's the best we can do. But there was, some, there was some bickering in the church here. The church has expanded, and uh, there were some complaints that some of the, some of the families were being neglected and the disciples decided that they, they, they needed to be busy about preaching the word. So what they decided to do was to institute the office of deacon. And they elected some men as deacons or appointed men as deacons. And one of the outstanding deacons of that day was a man by the name of Stephen. And we find in, uh, in chapter 6, verse 8 of... Uh, of the book of Acts. It says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous things among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. And I think that's important to recognize that Stephen was acting by the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And there is no, there is no defense against the Holy Spirit. Now, Dr. Combs mentioned this morning that uh, God chose those who were unwise. He chose those who, who didn't seem to really have a lot going for them. But he chose them anyway. And as he was talking about that, I said, <laughs> that's me. I'm one of the unwise. I'm one of the insignificant. I'm only here because God loved me and chose me to be one of his followers. We all fit that same category. Um, in my life, I have, I have enjoyed being in a prominent position. Um, I don't know whether any of you know much about my background or not, and I wasn't going to mention this, but I will just, to, just as an illustration. But I spent 20 years in the Marine Corps when I was a much younger man. <laughs> uh, 20 years. I got selected to the rank of warrant officer, and I was a band leader in the Marine Corps. Now, the Marine Corps, during my tenure, had about 190,000, 200,000 men in it. And for band officers, we had 12, 13. So I was one of 13, and it was, a, it was a pretty prominent position 
and uh, I got to travel around the world, and because I was the leader of the band, I was sometimes treated as a personality, even though I'm, I'm really nothing. It's just because somebody appointed me to, to that position. But here we are in the same position as Christians. We really are, are, are nothing, but we're special people. We are citizens of heaven. Our citizenship is not on this earth. It's in heaven. It's been established already. We're just waiting to go there. It's funny. Everybody wants to go to heaven. No one wants to die to go there. Think about that for a minute. It's really true. It's really true. But here we are, plain, simple, wise or unwise folks, that God has called because he loved us, sent his son to die for us, has called us to salvation. Today we're here this morning as part of Community Baptist Church because the Lord loved us, because he called us. Here we are. Well, Stephen was one of those type people as well. But there's this, this bickering that's going on now, even with Stephen and the leaders of the ch- some of the other churches there, the synagogue, synagogue of the freedmen, as it's called. Then in, in verse 11 of chapter 6, it says, Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him into the, before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs of Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. I believe that what they saw was the Holy Spirit showing himself in Stephen. Stephen didn't look worried at all. He was just sitting there, all these false accusations going on, But then they ask him, in chapter 7, the high priest asks Stephen, Are these charges true? To this he replied, and I'm not going to read this passage because it's quite lengthy. I'll just give you a brief synopsis of it. But what Stephen did was he went back, he started with Abraham. Father Abraham, they're all Jews here, remember. Father Abraham. Then he goes on down to Joseph. Then he goes on through the history of the Hebrew nation, goes on into Moses. He speaks quite at length on Moses and his escapades, and then he goes on down and talks about Joshua, and he talks about Solomon. He's giving this whole history, which they, being religious Jews, were all familiar with. So they were, they were listening, and everything he was telling them was the truth. But he goes on down through when he gets down to verse 48 of chapter 7, he says, However, and he just had talked about Solomon, who was the one who built the house, the temple, the tabernacle for the temple for God. He says, However, in verse 48, The Most High does not live in houses made by men, as the prophets say, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or will, where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. 
you always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. Now, Stephen just put his foot in his mouth. But you know, Stephen wasn't worried. Stephen wasn't concerned because the prompting of the Holy Spirit told him, Stephen, here's, here's the words that I want you to speak to these people. And he was simply speaking the truth. Let me say that we should probably take a, take a, a little hint from Stephen here in our dealings with others. <coughs> Always speak the truth. Don't hem-haw around. If it's black, call it black. If it's green, call it green. If it's purple, call it purple. If it's sin, call it sin. And we have so much going on in our world today and so much that is coming into the forefront because of the impending election that we have in a couple of weeks that we, we, we see people who are trying to soften sin and the effects of sin. Don't be guilty of that. My friend Ed Green, who passed away about a year ago, used a phrase that I thought was... I wish I could say I thought of this phrase. Ed, Ed may not have even thought of it. But he used the phrase a lot. He called what he called counterfeit Christianity. Counterfeit Christianity. And in essence, what he was talking about was someone who professes to be a Christian but doesn't live like he's a Christian. Or maybe even someone who says, yes, I love the Lord. I'm willing to do anything for the Lord. And goes into a place and has the opportunity to share the gospel and says, I don't know whether I ought to do that right now or not. This might not be the time or place. Maybe I should just back off a little bit. Um, never be afraid. The Holy Spirit is in you. He was in Peter. He was in Stephen. He was in the disciples. He's in us today. Let the Holy Spirit... If you, if you, if you come upon a, a moment of fear, say to yourself, Okay, I've got the Holy Spirit within me. Lord, help me. Let the Spirit speak through me. Be bold. It's tough. It's tough. I'll tell you that. It's tough. But through the power of the Spirit, we can do anything. We can do anything. Well, Stephen, I said, probably stuck his foot in his mouth. Um, after his long speech that he gave, in verse 54, it says, When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. In other words, he died. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. Now, this is our first introduction to Saul, who most of today's lesson is going to be talking about. 
Saul the Apostle, or Paul the Apostle. We'll see where his name was changed to Paul. But Paul had a special, a special calling. He was going to be the Apostle to the Gentiles, or to the Greeks. Now, up to this point in the book of Acts, we see things going on in Jerusalem. So, basically, we're talking about Jews, the Jewish nation, the synagogue, the church. But up until this point, now, we start going out to Judea and all Samaria. It says, On that, a great day of persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. We don't see a whole lot more about the Apostle Paul for a couple of chapters, so we're going to just sort of skip a little bit. We get over to chapter number 9. We see Saul's conversion. Saul was persecuting the church, going out, putting as, as many as he could, believers, followers of Christ, taking them to prison, persecuting them, stoning, beating, all kinds of things were going on. And Paul was very instrumental in this. Meanwhile, it says in chapter 9, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? This was the voice of the Lord speaking directly to Saul. And of course, you, you, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with Saul's conversion, the story of his conversion where he had this conversation with the Lord and he was saved. He became a believer, I think, just about that quick. And that's usually sometimes how often it happens. Sometimes it takes a while to persuade a person. But the apostle or actually at this point, just Saul. Saul of Tarsus is, is what we should call him, I guess, because that's what his title was. But he became a believer. He was blinded. He was directed to a city, a house, where someone talked to him. He, he, his, he regained his sight, and his whole life was then changed. His whole life was then changed. Now, I'm not going to read the whole narrative of this because you can read it on your own. Most of you probably have already read it, but... Uh, Saul goes on into to, to, to Damascus, and shortly after his conversion, Saul went out into what we would call Arabia and spent three years out there. And I believe that while he was out in Arabia for three years, that he was being instructed by the Lord as to what his task was going to be and being instructed in what he called back in verse number um, 2, the way. Just as an aside, let me give you a little interesting thing that you might want to follow. There's a, there's a thread that winds its way through the book of Acts, and it has to do with the way. The way, W-A-Y. Follow that, if you would, from chapter 9 going on through, and it, it works its way right down toward almost the end of the book. And you'll find that the way was something that was very valid. It was, it was something that was a designation for those who were the believers of Christ. 
and, and where I think that term came from, and I can't prove this for sure, but in my mind at any way, it, it goes back to the upper room when Christ was talking to his disciples. He told them, in my Father's house are many mansions. You're familiar with that portion of Scripture. He goes on to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I I believe that probably, and again, I I can't substantiate this, but I believe that that phrase, the way, which was heard by those 12 disciples there in the upper room, now they're the ones who are instrumental in forming the church, but I believe that was something that they picked up on, and then others started, and before you knew it, they were called the way. Believers in Christ were called the way. But it's a very interesting thread that you can follow from here on down through the book of Acts. A good study for you sometime if you're looking for something that might... uh, might help you understand what's going on. Well, here Saul is, is converted. Saul goes out and spends three years in the, in the desert, basically in Arabia. And then uh, in the meantime, what's going on is in chapter 9 and uh, verse 20, 32, as Peter traveled through about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Now here's a lot of people who are turning to the Lord because of something that they saw happen. But they listened to the word that Peter preached. They saw the miracles that Peter had done and they turned to the Lord. Now these were people who became disciples of Christ, believers. Um, Jump down to chapter 10 and verse 9. It says, about noon the following day as they were on their journey and approaching the city. These are people who are coming from Cornelius. The The first part of chapter 10 there talks about a man named Cornelius who lived in Caesarea. He sent some men to get Peter to bring him to his house. Now, Cornelius was a Gentile. Cornelius was a Gentile. Peter, about noon the following day, it says, as these men were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. While the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous man and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went 
along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. As they talked, as Peter was, had the opportunity to preach the word, Cornelius and his household and others who were in attendance became believers. They were converted. And to the, to the best of my knowledge, we can trace back to Peter's ministry to Cornelius as the first Gentile who was converted to the church. The first, they call them Greeks, Greek, Gentile. Either word would work. But as far as we know, Cornelius was the first Gentile who was converted to Christianity. Then it goes on from there. Peter has other little things going on. But then we see down in verse number... um, Let's go to chapter 11, verse 19. Remember now that what's happening is the church is branching out from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. And uh, so we're, we're starting to include other people who are not necessarily Jews. And, of course, that was the Lord's intent all along, as we'll find out. But it says in chapter 11, verse 14, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. These are more Gentiles. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw the evidence of the grace of God, He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit in faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, the same Saul who had been persecuting the church, but who had been converted. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first. At Antioch, and I think this is an interesting thing to pick up on. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. They spread news that there was a need going on. They took up a collection. Barnabas and and, and Saul were going to take it back, the gifts back to Jerusalem. Uh, meanwhile, other things are going on. James has been beheaded. Peter's been put in prison with the idea that he's going to be executed next. But you know how the angel of the Lord came and and led Peter out of the prison. A miraculous escape that uh, just let Peter extend his life for some days. But we go on down now and we find in in chapter number 13 that the, the, the church has been expanded now from Jerusalem to Samaria and Judea. And now we're going to go to the uttermost part of the earth. And the person who's most instrumental for the gospel going to the uttermost part of the earth is then Saul or the Apostle Paul. Um, In the church at Antioch, chapter 13, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. 
while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. This is what we call the beginning of the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey. He and Barnabas were going to depart and go out and preach God's word. Now, what I have have done is made some copies of maps. I was going to ask you to turn to the back of your Bible, but those are hard to see. But I made some copies of maps of, of Paul's missionary journeys. This happens to be his first missionary journey. If you look down the lower right-hand corner, you'll see Jerusalem designated by a cross. Look directly up north of that, right up toward the middle of the screen. It says Syrian Antioch. This is where the Apostle Paul and uh, Barnabas then were sent out from the church at Antioch. And the first place they went was down to the island of Cyprus. They sailed over to the island of Cyprus. Obviously, they sailed to a town on one end, and then they made their way to the other end to sail on into the mainland of of what says Galatia on the board, modern-day Turkey. But uh, crossing that island, the island of Cyprus, was by the local means of transportation that day. You know what that was, don't you? Shoe leather. (laughs) Now, how far is it from one end of Cyprus to the other? Uh, I don't know for sure. But I can tell you, according to the scale that we have down in the lower right-hand corner here, or left-hand corner, sorry, 250 miles. If I looked at the end of Cyprus, the the town that they went to really was not on the very end. But we're probably talking a minimum of 70, 75 miles. How long would it take us to walk 70 or 75 miles? How many of us would be here today if we had to walk to church this morning? Maybe I better not ask that question. (laughs) But you get my drift, I think. So they walked from one end to the other. They got on a boat. They went up to... uh, That's the wrong map. Why do I have that one on there? I'm supposed to have the first journey. That's not the first. Bear with me for a minute. Let me see if I can go back here. I skipped a slide. Okay. Not important. The important thing is the means of transportation that they had was shoe leather. On the first missionary journey, I figured, and I didn't figure precisely from point to point to point. I just used the key on the map to say they went about this far. The first missionary journey took them somewhere between a year and a half and two years and they traveled about 600 miles, roughly 600 miles, all on foot. This was only land miles. The portion that they were in a ship sailing, I didn't count that. Here's some 600 miles going to places like Galatia, going to places like Lystra, Derby, places that we don't hear of unless we read the book of Acts, but let me, let, me, let me tell you on Paul's first missionary journey, as they left Cyprus and went up to the mainland of Galatia, they went into a town called Lystra. And it was there at Lystra that the Apostle Paul was stoned. He was dragged out of the city and left for dead. And there's no doubt in my mind at all that he was dead. But as a group of Christians gathered around him, he rose up. He came back to life. Now, I don't find that too hard to believe because of 
the Holy Spirit working in these lives of these men at that particular time. A lot of people would say, you know, that's crazy. You believe somebody can be brought back from the dead, there's something wrong with you. Well, start with Jesus. Look at the apostles. Look at the, the number of people that were raised from the dead in, in their works and see, it's really not hard to believe at all. Faith. It's, maybe it is hard, <laughs> but it's faith. We take God at his word. He says it happened. I believe it happened. So Paul was stoned at Lystra. From there, he went on down to another little town. Then he reversed his course, and he went back to Lystra. How many of us would do that? They stoned me in Lystra, and they drug me out of town and left me for dead. By God's grace, he lifted me up, and I went on my way. And after I got down to the next town, the first place I visited after that was the place where they stoned me and left me for dead. You'd think, well, that's not the smartest thing in the world to do. But remember that we're just simple folks. <laughs> we're not wise. God uses simple things sometimes. But he went on his way, and they, they made their way back to, back to Antioch. They went down to Jerusalem to report their dealings. The second missionary journey, Paul left from the same place, Antioch, but he went farther. The second missionary journey took him about three years. And he probably traveled somewhere in the neighborhood of, I'm just going to say roughly twelve to 1,300 miles, land miles, shoe leather. <laughs> I wonder how many sandals Paul wore out on his missionary journeys. Boy, do we have it easy today or what? I don't want you to answer that to me. I just want you to think about it some of the hardships that the, the early church went through. Not only the hardships, but the persecution. Paul, who was simply preaching the gospel of Christ, was stoned for that. Stephen, who was simply preaching the gospel of Christ, was stoned for that. Today, I don't think we have to face the possibility of being stoned at least not today, sometime in the future. You never know what's going to happen. But if we ever do, how are we going to treat that? Are we going to say like Stephen, forgive them, Lord, because they don't understand what they're doing. It's a question that each of us have to face somewhere along the line. How, what, what, what am I going to do for my Savior? After all that he's done for me, what should I do for him? And we each have to draw our own conclusions. Well, after this second missionary journey, who he made with Silas, Paul took a third missionary journey. And on his third missionary journey, he established a lot of churches that we're familiar with. Actually, there's somewhere on the second. But in, on his third missionary journey, he went to a place called Ephesus. Ephesus. We have the book of Ephesians it's a, a book that the Apostle wrote, the Apostle Paul wrote, and sent to the church at Ephesus, to the Ephesians, the church at Ephesus. Um, he spent about three years there on his third missionary journey, almost three years in, in the city of Ephesus, preaching, teaching, bringing people to Christ. Remember now that these are not the people in Jerusalem who were Jews, and there were Jews throughout this whole area as well. But all this area now that he's gone into up north of Antioch and west of Antioch, today what we call Turkey. This whole area there was called Galatia, had a lot of key cities in it. 
these are all basically Gentiles that he's preaching to. Oh, there were Jews there as well because they were spread throughout, remember. They were spread throughout the kingdom. Uh, but now but Paul is basically the, the, the apostle to the um, Gentiles. Look with me at chapter 13, verse 46. Paul and Barnabas, Paul speaking, says, We had to speak the word of God to you first, since you rejected, and he's talking basically to Jews here in a synagogue, since you rejected and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now this is a quotation taken from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, the prophet, prophesying that the announcement of salvation was going to go to the Gentiles. Paul's responsibility was to take the word to the uttermost part of the earth. So we're talking basically about Gentiles now. And, and might I say, if, it, if the Jews had not rejected and the word had not gone to the Gentiles, we would not be here today. God's plan was that he sent his son to die for the sins of the world, not just the Jewish nation. God knew what was going to happen. God knew the rejection that was going to be faced. God knew the hardships they were going to go through. And trusting in God to help them, they, they willingly endured all that they endured. And because of people like Paul, because of people like Peter, Stephen, the other apostles, and other believers in the early days, we today are a part of that body, that body of Christ we're brothers together with Paul, with Peter, with Stephen, with Mary, with you name them from the past. We belong to that same family. But I want to leave you with this thought. And this comes back to the disciples where we started, the apostles. In a book by John MacArthur, he goes into something that he calls the calling of discipleship. And he was talking about the 12 disciples primarily, but this filters on down through today to you and I as well. And he says their calling was in four stages. Now, this is not Scripture, so if you disagree, that's fine. I'm not sure that I agree with all of it, but I think he's got some good points here. He says that the first calling was to conversion. Their first calling was to conversion, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, accept him into your life, and and be a Christian. Their second calling was to ministry. They were, they were called to minister to others. And we have that same calling today. Our calling is not just to gather together on Sunday morning and listen to God's Word being preached and taught, but it's to minister to others, those that we meet. So the second calling was to ministry. The third calling was to apostleship. To apostleship. I gave you a very brief definition last week of the difference between a disciple and apostle. Remember what I told you that was? A disciple was a follower. An apostle was someone who is sent. Our calling is also to apostleship because we are also sent. 
Then their fourth calling was to martyrdom. And that's one that I hope that we don't have to face. But if we do, I hope that we can face it willingly. Now, when I think of a martyr, I think of someone who's given his life for the cause of Christ. But you know, if we take the the real meaning of that term, we can go back down to a lot of things that happen to a lot of people that are sitting in this room. You're, You're looked down upon. You're called stupid. You're called crazy. You're called a Jesus freak. You're called lots of things. And basically, that's a form of martyrdom. We have to go through this simply because we love the Lord. We believe that He controls our lives and we want to do His will. So we have these four callings. If it ever comes down to whether I have to give my life for Christ or not, I hope that, as I said before, I can, I can say, Lord, forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing. T- receive me into glory, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm home at last. Home at last. My citizenship is in heaven. My heart should be everything that looks toward heaven and, and is waiting for me there. And in the meantime, I have this task here on this earth to be an apostle, to be sent out to give others the word, words of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, letting him work in and through me so that I might see the kingdom of Christ advance even further. Because there are still people out there who are elect. There are still people out there who are called. There are still people out there who need to come to Christ. And our job is not to know who they are. Our job is to take that word out and give it to the uttermost part of the earth. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this day that you've given us. Thank you for the book of Acts. Thank you for the lives of these men that we've looked at. And we ask, Lord, that you might help us to look at them in a different light, the fact that they are men just as we are men. Help us, Lord, to, in the power of the Holy Spirit, be bold. Help us to be a good witness, a good testimony. Help us, Lord, that in the days ahead, we glorify you with our every thought, word, and deed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.